Colossians chapter 3, and we're just going to read one verse, so uh, it'll be verse 16. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, and uh, don't think because we're just considering one verse that I'm going to cheat you. I'm going to go ahead and give you the whole load. But uh, Paul wrote this letter to the church at Colossae, and this church was actually not a church plan of Paul's. It was uh, actually started by a man that they led to the Lord. Paul and Timothy had led to the Lord by the name of Epaphras. He was kind of the leader there. He was the, the elder spokesman. But uh, Paul was uh, strongly desiring to go and be with them. But um, uh, So he's writing this letter to them or this epistle. Uh, he, he's addressing several heresies that were spreading around at that time. And one of them being it was about had to deal with the body of Christ, that if Christ came in the flesh, all of these things, and I won't go into all the graphic detail of that today, that's not my intentions, but I will say this, we're addressing the same heresies today, they're just wrapped up and repackaged and presented in a different manner, but we really have to be careful because many, many in the church have already fallen prey to some of these heresies. So don't think that we're not dealing with them today. We are. And we need to be aware of them. And we need to address them. But what I want us to, to do today, what I want us to just focus on our time together on is letting the Word of Christ dwell within us. Not only as the corporate body of Christ, but as an individual, because the, the, the corporate body is only as strong as its weakest member. If, if, if I've got cancer in my physical body, that, it may not be, it starts out as one little cell, but it's not going to remain one cell, is it? That, that cancer, unless it's addressed, unless it's dealt with, it's going to finally weaken and destroy my entire body. It's going to shut me down. It's going to kill me. And it's the same thing in our churches. If we've got a member in there, and, and I'm not likening them to cancer, but if we're not letting the Word of God dwell within us, we weaken the body as a whole. And it takes our precious resources that we need to be encouraging one another, strengthening one another to go out into the lost world and spread the gospel. It takes away from that our ability to do that and do that well and to do it in a healthy manner. So let's read Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord God, today we just ask you to meet with us. God, that you would be glorified in us, that um, 
we would leave this place with nothing lacking, that we would, maybe we came empty, uh, maybe we, uh, we came here a little depressed, maybe we came here, our minds and our hearts are clouded with worry, maybe we're carrying a weight that we just simply can't carry. I pray that God, today we would lay it all down at your feet. I pray that today we would find solace in you that God, that your spirit would minister life unto us and that would, we would leave this place full, that we would leave this place rejoicing, not in our circumstances, but that we have a living Savior. Thank you for loving us. Forgive us and cleanse us, God, as the song said, by your blood, I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, Thinking about Christ, let the word of Christ dwell in you. That word, that phrase, the word of Christ, that's a beautiful phrase. Because what does it say in John chapter 1 and verse 1? In the beginning was the word, logos, the Greek word logos. In the beginning was the word. And the word was what? with God, and the Word was God. He is God. He's eternal. Now, has He always existed? Absolutely. Did He exist in the form of a man? He appeared to, he appeared to men before the incarnation. You do know that, right? Christ has always been alive, but thank God for the incarnation, when he came, took on the form of a body. We don't, we don't know how he appeared. We don't know what his appearance was exactly like. Was he an angel? The angel of God? All those things. They're, they're, it's mysterious. It's, but we know he has always existed. We, we know that God is a spirit. Amen? We can't... It's, it's hard for our hearts and minds to grasp God, the concept of who God is. Jesus is the manifestation of God. He's the Word of God. So when in Genesis 1.1, what does the Bible say? In the beginning, God. Everything starts with Him. So... When I see the Word of Christ, I think about how did, he, how did this world come into being? How did creation come into being? How did man come into being? The Bible says God spoke a word and it was so. He said in the beginning, He said let there be light and what happened? There was light. He took some dirt after He created this planet he took some dirt in his hands, breathed in the man's nostrils the breath of life, and we became a living soul. I can't explain all that, but I just know it's there, and I know it's real, and I thank God for it. But what I want you to get a grasp of is this. There are many out there that say, man, I wish I'd lived during Jesus' day so I could, I could have seen him. I wish I, I, I think we'd have been a lot better off if, We'd been a lot more faithful if we could have walked with him. No, we wouldn't. 
if I, if, if I don't hunger and thirst after the written word just as much as I do the living word because they're intertwined, Jesus is the word of God. This is not just a book. This is the book. There's no other, way, there's no other one like it. It lives, it breathes, it bleeds. You go to any passage of Scripture you want to go to and you can take that, passage, you can take that one verse and make a beeline for the cross. Because this is, a, this is a history book, it's a hymn book, and it's a history book about Him. It's His story. Everything is about Jesus in here. So, don't give me this stuff about I'd be a whole lot more faithful to the Lord if I could see Him face to face. No, we wouldn't. And there are plenty of examples in the Scripture. I think about in chapter 20 of John's Gospel account, Thomas, that the Lord had been he had resurrected, he had risen. He had appeared to the disciples, but Thomas wasn't there. And Thomas was like, and, and please don't misunderstand me, I love Thomas. You know, we, we down Thomas a lot. We call him, what, doubting Thomas, right? I don't think that's completely fair to him. I think he was just one of those people that that was his mindset. That he, was, he wanted to see the proof. I believe he, tr I believe he trusted the Lord. But he, wanted to see, he was one of those, I got to see it for myself. I know it's real, but I want to see it. I think that's what he was saying. You can take me up on that later if you disagree with me. If you call him Doubting Thomas, okay, I'll give it to you. But here was the deal. Jesus came to him and he didn't say, you fool. Can't you, can't you trust me? He showed it to him. He said, here, put your fingers in the nail prints. Stick your hand where the spear went in and believe. But he, what else did he go on to say? He said, blessed are those who haven't seen and yet believe. And then he said in the, I think it's the last verse of chapter 20, verse 31, these things, but these are written that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing ye may have life in His name. It was written for us. What did Jesus do when he was tempted in the garden? He said, it is written, it is written, it is written. He didn't answer the devil with, I am God in the flesh. Get down on your knees and worship me, Satan. Which he could have. And if I was Jesus, that's what I'd have done. But he took three verses out of Deuteronomy and defeated the devil with the written word. He said, it is written. So, all of this nonsense, and I'll give, you, I'll give you one more little example and then we will get into the heart of the message. But remember in Luke chapter 16, the account of the rich man and Lazarus? Lazarus is in, I mean, excuse me, the rich man's in hell. Lazarus is in Abraham's bosom. That Lazarus, I mean, excuse me, the rich man begs for Lazarus to come and 
just take one drop of water and place it on his tongue because he's in torment and all of this. And then later on in the conversation, he says, I've got five brothers. Would you send someone back to them to tell them? Don't, don't come to this place. You don't, you don't want to be here. And he says, they've got Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he says, no, 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 Father Abraham. If someone would just come back from the dead, some sensational appearing of somebody with smoking hair and burned skin and breathing smoke out of their mouth and telling them gory stories of how bad hell is, they, they, they'll believe then. And he said, if son, if they won't believe Moses and the prophets, they won't believe if Smokey the bear comes out of the grave and says, don't come here. And it's the same way with us today. And you know what's missing in many of our churches? God's own people don't have a hunger and thirst for His Word. How can I claim to know somebody intimately when I never really, truly sat down with a hunger to get to know them better? Before Lisa and I got married, I studied her. I found out what she liked, what she didn't like. I sat down with her. We talked. Now I can write a book about her. My experience is being married to Lisa Beach Robinson. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a vet. But now, and, I, and I'm not saying I know everything, the older I get and the more I grow in Christ, the more I understand I don't know. But now I'm a veteran in following Jesus Christ. You see, when I was born again, I was simply that, a babe in Christ. But now I'm maturity. There are a lot of people in churches all across this great land that have been professing Christians for 40, 50 years and more and they're still spiritual babies sucking on spiritual pacifiers to get them through. That is a sad testimony to the life-transforming power of Jesus Christ and His Word. We're, Paul tells us in our text, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And that's what we need to do. So, I've got two thoughts and we're done. We can wrap this up. The first thing is that we need to address how do we treat the scriptures? It's got, first off, it's got to enter into us. These kids back here, I could hear whoever was teaching the children this morning. I kind of chuckle to myself under my breath sometimes. They get so distracted, don't they? They do. And, and it's, it's all you can do most of the time to just kind of keep them all gathered up like a hen with her bit. Come on, y'all. Come on, come on, come on, come on. <laughs> Let's come back. And I know it's frustrating sometimes, and I know sometimes you feel like you're really not doing any good. You're not doing anything of any value, but you are. And I'll tell you why I know those, those things. Because I, as a pastor, I had children in my congregation. I remember there were two boys. Their father never entered the door of a church. 
and her mama brought them to church, and she hadn't been in church in a long time, but she brought those kids, and they were terrible. They, they didn't know how to behave. They, did. they were literally, when they were little boys, they'd be sitting in the back, and they would crawl under the pews and come up to the front and pick their head up, look at me. And you know what we did? She got frustrated. She got embarrassed. And she, I said, you bring them babies to church. And I said, if anybody says anything about it, tell them to come see me. Because we're investing in these kids for the long haul, not for the short term. And now, they're grown and on their own. And one of them came in, my bar, in the barber shop where I cut hair one day, telling me about what all the Lord had done for him. And that we were a huge part of what God was doing in his life. Now at the time, it didn't seem like he heard a word. At the time, it didn't seem like anything was going on. I wanted to take him and show him the right hand of Christian fellowship sometimes. But I thank God we stuck with it. The word got in him. Somehow, by the grace of God. But what if we hadn't? What if we'd have just said, ah, he's a knothead, let him go. No. God didn't let me go, and we don't let them go. Whoever teaches children in this church, you just keep doing your thing. Because you never know what God's going to... You think they're not listening, but they hear everything. They have the ability to hear everything and do their thing. When you get old, you, that's gone. You can't, do, you can't hardly do one thing well, much less everything else. But when you're young, you can be doing something else and still hear everything that goes on around you. They'll tell you what you said. Just ask them. They hear everything. They hear the things they don't, you don't want them to hear. Right? Where did you hear that word, son? My daddy. Right? So let it get in you, but also let it remain there. There's a difference in just taking it in real quick, letting it pass through, but there's, there's something else to being occupied with it. You know, every morning that I wake up, and, and don't get me wrong, it can, anything can become just something you do, right? A box you check. And I get that. But at the same time, if you don't develop patterns and make habits, you'll have bad habits. Amen? How many people get up just in the nick of time to throw their clothes on and leave for work? every day in America. Many of them are Christians. I can't do that. You know why? My first thought is, I got to get my Bible. And I got to sit down with God. If it's not but 15 minutes, I have got to have some time for me and Him. Because 
If I don't start with him, my day's gone already. My day is utter chaos. So I make time for that word. I put, I put in that time that morning because I know once I leave the house, I'm going to be bombarded. And I'm not going to be listening as much as I would. And it's got to remain there. And it can't just be this passing through. I read something and then forget it. Ruminate on it. Repeat it to yourself. Read it over and over till you can quote it. Let it remain. Be occupied with it. That means that's your focus. I can do other things during the day. I've got other tasks. I live in the real world just like you do. There's bills to pay. There's things to do. There's all kind of unspiritual stuff that we're a part of. But when I bring him into the equation, he makes even the most mundane of tasks spiritual. Because his word is in me. And people recognize that. They'll see that in us if the word's in us. When someone comes to you and they say, I've got an issue, and you can bring the word of God into their life, you've given them the gift of eternity. And not that stuff about, you know, basically belittling their suffering. We don't belittle anyone's suffering. But if the Word of God doesn't bless you and encourage you and give you life, something's wrong. Because I'm bringing Christ into that situation. It's the Word of Christ, right? It's not just a book, it's Him. It, I'm bringing the Word into that situation the living word into that situation. And let it be your most familiar friend. Let the word of God be your buddy. The one that picks you up whenever you're depressed. The one that when you're falling down and you don't know who else to turn to, go to the word. Quote scripture to yourself. Pray scripture. Anybody ever pray scripture? Psalm 23 is a good one. Amen. We do it all the time at funerals. We ought to do it while we're still living too. That's a good one, amen? Because he doesn't say at your funeral, have them read Psalm 23. <laughs> David said what? The Lord is not going to be my shepherd when I die and go to heaven. The Lord is my shepherd. Every day. Down here, up there, in between... The Lord is my shepherd. His mercy and His love for me, He ran me down with mercy and grace and my cup overflows. David could say that because it was a continual thing with him. It was there all the time. No matter what. He was occupied with it and it was his familiar friend. So, that's how we need to treat the Scriptures. And the last thing is, how do we profit by the Scriptures? It, what, what real benefit is it to let the Word of Christ dwell in us and to, to be those people that God's called us to be? Well, number one, if you look in our text, it says the second part of it after the, the semicolon there, teaching and admonishing one another. Okay. 
how am I going to teach someone if I haven't been trained myself? And see, that's, that's where the breakdown happens in the church in America today. We expect the people out there, they don't have the same expectations and standards and demands that the preacher does or the missionary does or the evangelist does. Those are the professional Christians, right? Y'all know they're professional Christians, right? We pay them. I'm not a professional Christian. I'm still practicing. But that doesn't diminish my responsibility to God for how I live my life. Now, as a pastor, as a preacher, am I going to be held to a different standard, a level? Yes. I'm responsible for what I teach you from this pulpit, yes. But do you know that you're going to stand before God and give an account of your life, not for mine? You're not going to stand before God for me, and I'm not going to stand before God for you. If you will not take the word of God for yourself, I can't help you. My wife is my responsibility. I'm the spiritual head of our home, yes. But my wife is responsible for taking the word of God herself and saying, you know, Jeff, what you told me the other day, I don't know. Let's look at that. And I'm being serious. Whatever preacher stands before you, whoever the next pastor of this church is, if you don't check him by the word of God, shame on you. Because we don't know everything. I've changed my mind about a lot of stuff through the years. I'm still learning too. But that does not absolve you of the responsibility. So, what do I need to do? The first thing I need to do, I need to profit for it by it myself. Not for selfish reasons, not for, so I can gloat and lord it over people, but so that I grow in grace and in the knowledge of who God is. Because pastors come, pastors go, pastors die, people die, spouses die, leaders die, but God lives forever. So I profit by the word for myself so that then, secondly, it might profit others. Because that's my goal. I'm not, I'm not into the word of God simply for my own benefit. So I can lord it over and puff myself up and put myself on a pedestal. I do it so that I might function as what God made me, which is a shepherd an overseer of the flock. And a shepherd is just a guy that feeds sheep. I mean, it doesn't get any more simple and plain than that. That's what a pastor is. He feeds sheep. He doesn't force feed them. He doesn't drive them like cattle. He leads them by the way he ministers to them. They trust him. So, all I'm doing is feeding sheep. You say, well, you don't have the title anymore. No, I don't. 
I, 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 and I guess. But what's the difference in a title and functioning? There's a world of difference. A lot of men have the title and don't function as a shepherd. A lot of them are in it for themselves. A lot of them are in it for the money. A lot of them are in it for a lot of other things. Because you know we only work two days a week, right? You know, Easy money, right? I always hated it when I was pastoring and get Lisa a new car or something. Oh man, look at who's got the money around here. Work a couple days a week and buy your wife a new car. That's nice. I just, thank you. They were just picking. But it, it gives you something to think about, doesn't it? But if they know that that's, that's just who I am, they, they gravitate towards that. They don't, they don't think anything about it. They don't think I'm out for myself. I can profit others just simply by being who I am. When I was in Kentucky about three weeks ago with uh, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association as a chaplain, I, I, never, I talked to this lady on the phone. She was living several miles away, and I, the only way I could get a hold of her was by phone. I couldn't see her face to face. But she just had the sweetest spirit. I didn't even say I was a pastor. I just, I said, I'm a chaplain with Samaritan's Purse. We work with Samaritan's Purse and we're checking up on you. We had a great conversation. Well, then later on, she texted me and she said, Pastor Robinson, I just wanted to tell you how much it meant to me for you to call me in the conversation we had. I didn't say, I'm, I'm pastor this or this. She just called me that. Because something in my spirit connected with hers and she knew that that's what I did. By nature, I was a shepherd of the sheep. And so it profited her and I, I didn't, I, no money exchanged hands. And you're the same way. You see, you're, you're accountable to one another and you're accountable to whoever your pastor is going to be. He needs you too. He can't stand up here all alone in his own strength and do this. That's why God gave us the church, one another. And if we're not maturing and growing, you're not going to bless him. And he's going to get discouraged. And so it takes both. You profit one another. And the third thing is, it profits us in our relationship to God Himself. The more I grow, the more I learn about the Lord and the, the more I love Him. You know, I thought I loved God whenever He saved me, and, and I did. But now I know really how bad I was and where He brought me from. And I'll never forget that. My relationship to Him is sweeter today than it was the day I got saved. I, did, I really didn't think that was possible. But I'm just beginning to taste those things and it's because the Word 
has stayed there and remained and it's alive and well and it's growing. And I just want to leave you with this thought in closing. He says, admonishing one another how? In psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to who? The church, your neighbor, your spouse, to the Lord. You get the blessing as a byproduct of me praising God. Right? We brag on God and it blesses everybody else, right? You know, prayer is a powerful tool. Prayer engages the Word of God. Prayer makes things happen with God, right? That's how we move the hand of God is with prayer. But I liken it to this. It's like a a stalk of wheat or of corn or something. Prayer is the stalk and the leaves and all those, the roots and all those things. But praise is the ear of grain. That's the natural product. That's the byproduct of the Word dwelling in us. And we're, we're praying the Word of God. We're praying for God's will to be done in our life. But it all ends in a crescendo of praise and singing back to God. You know, I remember a time in our culture, you know, we have all these racial, all this renewed racial tension and all these things and all these oppressed people. And I just thought back to when I was growing up, and I don't, I don't have these rose-colored glasses on about where we grew up. I grew up in the, south, in the deep south down there in Franklin Parish, and I know race relations have not always been the best. I understand that. But I do remember a day when blacks and whites worked together out in the fields and we'd have a gooseneck hoe in our hands and it'd be 182 degrees out there. But I remember us singing out there. I remember we were happy before they told us we weren't. It wasn't always pretty. It wasn't perfect. We had our squabbles. We had our disagreements. But we let the devil rob us of our joy. And it's time the church got her joy back. Because we got something to be thankful for in spite of all this chaos. We serve the living God. And He is the one who puts a song in our heart. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word, the written word that comes from the living word. Lord God, they're they're almost interchangeable. You are alive and well this morning. Your presence is here through your spirit. Lord God, we have a reason to sing. We, we should have a song in our hearts, not because of our circumstances, but because of our Savior. Because we serve a great God. So Lord, this morning as we take communion together, may we truly have a, 
uh, the concept of what it means to be here together in your name. And that we can be thankful for this fellowship. God, help us to grow together. Help us to mature. Help us to be a blessing to one another and to you. And may you be glorified in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. I was thinking this morning in preparation for this, you know, uh, I'm so thankful for the, the gospel accounts and I love how they all speak the same thing but they all are so diverse as well and uh, they give us a little bit of, all four gospel writers give us a little different look at who Jesus is and what he did for us and I think about, I thought though this morning about Matthew because Matthew wrote this predominantly, this is for the Jewish person because it's all about, the focus is on the Lord as king. He's a king. And he is a king who is still as yet has not returned to his throne, his rightful throne, the throne of David, his forefather, but I believe someday, and I believe it will be very soon, Jesus is going to return to this earth. He's going to rule and reign for all of eternity, and He's going to set up His kingdom. But He did say this in Matthew 26, and verse 26, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it, and broke it, and gave to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And He took the cup, and gave thanks and gave it to them saying drink ye all of it for this is my blood of the New Testament which is shed for many for the remission of sins but I say unto you I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom and when they had sung a hymn they went out into the Mount of Olives so one of these days there's going to be a marriage supper and we're going to sit down and be with him and we're going to have that perfect fellowship that was broken in the garden 
It's going to be restored to us. We're going to be in fellowship with Him for all of eternity. And He's going to serve us. Can you imagine? The King of kings and Lord of lords is going to serve us. We are so unworthy, but He makes us worthy because He placed the ultimate value on us. He shed His precious blood so that we might have eternal life through Him. I was thinking also this morning in Luke's account. You remember those uh, two disciples that Jesus came upon on the, going on the road to Emmaus? And it said they spent all day with Him. And He was taking the Word and preaching to them and, and being with them all day. They knew something was going on. Their hearts were burning. So, and they wouldn't let Him go. They said, stay with us. They said, stay with us. But when did they recognize Him? Not until He broke the bread and blessed. When we take this communion together, we're showing the Lord's death till He come. Let's take the bread.